Let's go in our text, let's, uh, as we stand and get ready to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 through 7. As you're standing and turning there, by way of uh, reminder, we're going through a series called Authentic Christianity, the Authentic Christian, and what is that? So we've been tracking through 1 Thessalonians. For those who have been with us, you know the progress. For those who haven't, um, this, this section that we're about to read um, goes right in what Pastor Kurt talked about last week with chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 concerning uh, eschatology, or in other words, the end times and what that looks like. And so this passage fits right up in there, um, and it actually will end next week and go into 13, but we're, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. So if you can read with me. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not in the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So our theme today will be a life characterized by authentic hope, a life characterized by authentic hope. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, It's so true, Lord, as Jesus tells us that while heaven and earth will pass away, your word will remain. So Lord, I thank you even as we hear the preaching of your word from week to week, Lord, and as we internalize and, and let your spirit work that in us, I pray today, Lord, would be the same and that we would hear your word and that you would speak. Father, please um, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart during this time and always be pleasing to you, our Lord, our God, our strength, the one in whom we have life and in whom we trust. Father, bless your word. Open our hearts, Lord, where anxieties are, we put them aside. May your love flow over us in such a way that we're able to receive your word, Lord God. So, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, When Fatima and I first got married, um, at first it was hard for me to understand actually that she she loved me. I don't know if anybody can identify with that, but either in marriage or if you're in healthy relationships and friendships, sometimes it's really difficult to really believe, does this person love me? And so what would happen is that I knew Fatima would tell me, I love you. She would act in actions that she actually loved me. But somehow, even though she told me, it was disconnecting at times. And when she hadn't done anything or told me for a while, then I start to think, I start to fear and worry, like anxious of, wait, does she really love me? And so oftentimes, these fears and anxieties in between, someone can tell you something that's true. And as time goes on, you begin to get anxious, like, is this really true? And so other times is that then if we learn and we know the love, once I know that Fatima loves me experientially, practically in all ways, then what happens is I can begin to sleep on my love towards her. And so she can love me, but then there's times where I just start sleeping on it. 
and taking advantage of the fact that I know and I get so comfortable in this idea and the reality that she loves me that I actually start sleeping on my actions that I'm called to in loving her. So similarly, Paul faced a similar situation in 1 Thessalonians with this, with this young church they, Paul told them, it, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.5, when he was addressing some of the end times that was getting confused again, he told them very clearly that I had taught you these things already. So there's some things about the end times, the day of the Lord, and, and, uh, that Paul had taught them already. Okay, so he, he, he taught them things like the times and the seasons, which we'll talk about. He talked about the, what, what's going to happen and then the and the Lord coming. He, he told them these things, and yet at some time, what happened is that after some time, they, be, they grew fearful and anxious of saying, I know Jesus is coming, according to 1 Thessalonians 1.10, right? They turn from idols, verse 9, to serve the living God and await for the coming of Jesus, right? So they knew there was a sense of Jesus coming, but they began to ask, saying, well, how do I know that I'm going to be a part of this? How do I know that I know that I'm going to be a part of this? So they begin to go into anxiety, and in the anxiety, right, of questioning and wondering, like, am I going to be with him? Am I not? He had just told them, right, he says right above, as Pastor Kirk covered, that we will, those that are in Christ will experience him. So they're still wondering about this. And so what he tells them is that in the midst of this, these times and seasons, he says there's something very specific that I want you to focus on. And so what he does is Paul then has to come in, just like I have to have someone sometimes reassure me when I first got married, like, yo, like, your wife actually loves you. And the more you, I grew in that, it became a comprehensive reality to live in light of that. And similar to that, Paul has to reassure them that the truth of the day of the Lord and how it informs a life of authentic hope. And so there's, we have three different things we're going to talk about, three points today. But the first one is... is the first characteristic of an authentic hope is a life of focused service. A life of focused service. So let's go in verse, verse 1. He begins and says, Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. And in the times and seasons, he's wondering, so what are these times and seasons? He says, so in the midst of these times and seasons, which we find out that he had instructed them on some of these things. So he says, in the midst of the times and seasons, you don't have anything. I don't have to write further to you. Why? Well, let's look. What are these times and seasons? Go to, put your thumb in Matthew 24. We're going to be going back and forth to Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians. So put your thumb there. And so here's, here's the intro. Jesus begins to talk about these times and seasons. And Paul picks up and he, he, and he explains this in the context of what the Thessalonica church is going through. So 24, verse 3, let's begin there. This is Jesus speaking here. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, saying this to the disciples. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake." 
And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And so you have right here in this passage, you have Paul explaining, he says these times and seasons are times, that, times period of times and events that will happen from the time when Christ came was crucified, buried, and raised, and the time where we anticipate his second return. So in that, all these things are going to be happening. The times and seasons of figuring out what's going to happen, when it is, all this kind of stuff. He says, this is going to happen. All right? So that's, that's going to happen. He's very clear on that. Um, and so what we see there is that in the midst of this, Paul makes it very clear, though, but I've instructed you on these. Right? In fact, in 2 Thessalonians, they're wondering about, well, the Lord already came. They're already wondering. He says, no, he didn't because these things haven't happened. Right? But then he says, now in the midst of the times and seasons, you, don't focus on those because there's one. There's one thing that you're already fully aware of, and that's what I want you. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to focus on. So in the midst of the times and seasons, don't go back to those questions because you're anxious and you're trying to figure out in the midst of the suffering, the persecution, in the midst of everything that is going on, the tendency for them was, well, let me go back to the times and seasons and try to make sense of something. And he says, no, 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 you don't need to be instructed on that anymore. Here's the one thing that you need to focus on. And so go back to 1 Thessalonians. Here's what he says. In verse 1, in verse 2, he says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So there's two things concerning these, this significant thing. The first one is that the day of the Lord is a cosmic event about Jesus. The first thing to know about the significance of, the, of this reality that he needs to focus on, that they need to zoom in on in their predicament is that the day of the Lord is a cosmic event about Jesus. And so in, in, um, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord through the prophets is a day when God will bring his judgment upon those who oppose him, and he will come to vindicate the faithful that are in him. So the day of the Lord is a reality that God will bring and bring judgment and vindication and deliverance to those that are in him. And so here Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians 8, and he tracks the theme in his epistles and recognizes in 1 Corinthians 1, 8 that this day of the Lord is actually a day of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm just walking through and teaching some of this for a minute, so bear with me. That the day of the Lord is actually the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so then it goes even further and go to, let's pick this up in uh, Matthew 24. Go back to Matthew 24, 29 through 31. And Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's, a, that's referencing some of the Old Testament illustration of the coming of the, the, the day of the Lord. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, 
from one end of heaven to the other. So here Jesus refers himself as the son of man, the one who actually will come riding on the cloud, right, surfing on the cloud, being there, coming to gather the elect and bringing judgment, bringing the day of the Lord that we see in Daniel 7. So the son of man, Jesus, is the second person of the triune God who actually executes the, the, the day of the Lord, okay? And we see that further is in Revelation 16, 15 through 16. Here's what this says. The king, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slaves and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? If you look in Isaiah 2, this is a fulfillment of the day of the Lord where people are trying to hide from the Lord. They're trying to hide from this imminent day that is coming. And so what they're doing is hiding behind rocks and saying, fall on us. We, who can hide from this? And so it's kind of like me ducking and saying, Pastor Kirk, can you see me right now? I mean, think about that, but you think about, oh, I'm going to hide in the cave, but you can't hide from this coming day of the Lord. And so you see down further in Psalm 2, what Psalm 2 says is, I will say of the decree, um, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall rule them with the rod of iron, and you shall break them like jars of clay, referring to all the nations. So then we go down and says, Therefore, be wise, O kings. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Kiss the sun. Rejoice with trembling, right? Because the sun, his wrath is easily kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. This is a cosmic thing. All the nations and kings of the earth will ultimately be under the day of the Lord. And Jesus is, he came as the lamb, but we see in Revelation that it's the, it's the lion of Judah who conquered, and we'll reference that later on. But this thing is a cosmic reality. It's not just particular to the Christian faith. Today, in our postmodern generation and culture, what happens is that everybody wants to put Christianity kind of in cahoots with every other religion. And so, but the day, like, so on a college campus, if you're in campus and you're in there, it's real interesting. When I was in college, I recognized that a lot of my professors, you can mention any other name right, any other religion, and it was cool, but the minute you brought up Jesus, the minute, because we're, while we're called to love people, right, we're called to bless the nations as the people of God who in Christ were blessed, so he blesses as we proclaim the gospel. We're called to do that, but don't get it confused, people of God. The day of the Lord is real, it's cosmic, and the teachings of Christ are for all people, all nations, all cultures. And so no one will be exempt from the day of the Lord. He says, remember that in the midst of your situation. No one is exempt from the day of the Lord. As, as, as Tiffany referenced earlier, you had the, this meta-narrative, right? As we're seeing, you have a meta-narrative through which, in which every other story fits, right? But today, we don't like meta-narratives in our culture, so what happens is that the minute that we teach the teachings of Jesus that say this is the history of all creation, that's the minute that they're saying, how dare you come up with a meta-narrative today? 
And so part of us is saying the way that we understand the day of the Lord will influence the sense of urgency to actually live in light of that reality. And that's what he leads to the next point. He says the next point is that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Will come like a thief in the night. And as I was looking at the reality, I'm thinking, why did he use thief in the night? I don't know, that just, it just didn't, I mean, why couldn't you say the day of the Lord will come and it's imminent, it's coming? But he specified and said the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so here's where if you, if you go back to uh, Matthew 24, also as, as we're going back from Matthew to Paul, I want you to see even the progression is scripture. Jesus fulfills, he's the executor, he executes the day of the Lord. Paul sees that all our scripture seen through Jesus fulfilling it, so we take the teachings of Christ, we take the gospel, the fulfillment of Christ, and we contextualize it and make it clear to a particular audience and the situations they're going through. And so he made this clear, he took this teaching right here, and here's what he says in 2442. He says, therefore, stay awake. In light of the fact that you don't know the hour, he says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on, the, on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at their proper time. Blessed is that man whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. Sheesh. Put him with the hypocrites. Oh, Lord. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is not messing around here. He is not messing around. And so this reality, what you see is that why does you use the idea of coming as a thief in the night? It's because you see here, who's the faithful one? It's the one who actually stewards what has been given to him in a way that pleases God and honors God. And so it's a call to wake up to steward. It's a call to say, we are stewards, not owners. We are stewards and we're not owners. And this means that Jesus is our master. We get our P's and Q's from Jesus himself. And so the tendency with us is that when we become... uh, like in our culture, we're so used to the mentality of home ownership, car ownership. I own these shoes. I own this. I own this. I own this. It's all about what you can get and what you can own. And in the midst of trying to own so much, we have a, a mentality that says it's all about owning. I don't think we really have a good under, uh, understanding of stewardship. Like stewardship recognizes that God owns it all. I don't own any of this. I don't own any, but the temptation is that when we begin to forget to recognize, right, when we forget to recognize that Jesus could come at any moment, what happens with us is that we begin to say, well, okay, a stewarding, but then all of a sudden, 
Uh, it creeps into, mm, uh, he's not coming back. Uh, maybe I'll get delayed like this wicked servant. I'll start to take my life into my control. I'll try to make it happen. And what happens is you're functioning as an owner and not a steward. And so Jesus like sparks us up to say, y'all, the day of the Lord is coming as a thief. Like, for instance, illustration. If someone, it, it, so you're working at a job, right? You know that if you know your boss is coming in at any moment and can evaluate your work, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? If you know that if you're in the healthcare profession or the food business, you know that any minute OSHA could step in, and if you're not in order, they could shut you down. If you, so even if you're a student and you go and your professor, you know that this professor gives pop quizzes, and he could pop it at you, or he or she could pop it at you any moment and give it to you any time. How does that influence the way that you handle that class? See, the problem is what happens oftentimes is that we get in the place where we, in class, we start saying, I got this class. Like, this is easy. I got this under control. I can control what I want to do with it. I can control what I want to, what, what I want to hear, what I don't. And you get to the point, you, that pop quiz comes, and you, you get an F. You <laughs> fail that thing. Or you go in, like, for instance, if you're working and you don't own the business, you go ahead, watch, you go into that business, and you start making up the rules. You start changing the book numbers. You start bossing the employees around where you're not supposed to be bossed. That, that boss or that the business owner, when he comes in, what's he going to do to you? <laughs> but see, how often we get a couple things like the illustration before. What happens is that either we forget that Jesus is coming at any moment, Right, And so then we kind of take it into our hands, and sometimes we just forget, and we start to become anxious right? because we're like, oh, my gosh, can I really experience this? The other way is you become so comfortable, like at that job, you get so comfortable with that boss that you begin to do things that you shouldn't. And then all of a sudden, you see the side of the boss that was always there, but you misread that boss. Because you try to take it into your own hands. And that's similar is that the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night is that we could get, we can know that intellectually, right? We can know it, but we begin to function as if he's not coming. I've already predicted when he's coming, so I can do whatever I want until he actually that day comes and then I can do it. You see what I'm saying? So there's a sense of where while the times and seasons are significant, Jesus says, don't forget, I am coming like a thief in the night. Recognize and remember you don't own this. You are a steward that I have called you to do with that. And so I love how if you go back to the first Thessalonians in verse 2, the way he describes, he commends the young church. And what he says in verse 2 is that they were fully aware of this truth. They were fully aware of this truth. This is interesting, looking down to the words, fully. The word for fully, uh, basically, the, the, the Greek of the fully is to accurately or carefully pertaining to strict conformity to a norm or standard. Involving both detail and completeness. So that's what fully is. Aware to know or to fully realize or to perceive. So you put those two together. That's a powerful punch. Here's what he says. Basically to have 
It's to have a complete conformity in all areas of one's life in light of the reality of the day of the Lord. To have a complete conformity in every area of our life in light of the day of the Lord. And so for the Thessalonica church, you see some of this where they were fully aware their lives were being aligned. They, they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There's joy in being lined with this reality. Sometimes we give it a bad rap. We give stewarding as if like, ah, you're just my goon, right? Like, you're just my second. But stewardship is the fact that this is what we were created to do. So the fact that he calls us his children and he gives us the opportunity to steward, that's the most, that should be the most joyful thing in the world. And so the, the, early, the young church is growing in that reality. But you see glimpses of the evidence of grace that the word produced in their understanding of that. And so what you see it in a work of faith, 1 verse 3, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in Jesus. They turned from idols to serve the living God. They loved one another well. Like these things were, they were, everything they did was growing and it was being in line with the most significant thing to remember, don't get caught up in the times and season discussion. Don't get caught up in some of that speculation that will deter you from service, authentic, focused service unto the king of kings. But see, the Thessalonians wrestled with this reality. So they, they were trying to figure out, as we talked about, they wrestle with it. And so in Matthew 24, 14, we see that the Thessalonians aren't the first, they're, they're not the only ones who wrestle with this. 24, 14, Jesus lays out and he gives a focus on service. He says, while all these things that we read, 1 through 13, while all these things, the times and seasons, are happening, he says, in the midst of that, when craziness increases, he says, but you know what? This gospel must be proclaimed as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. This gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. Proclamation, stewarding God's word and accurately understanding and knowing that the day of the Lord is a, it's cosmic and it also is coming as a thief in the night. And so he goes down in Acts 1, 6 through 8. You don't have to turn there. But the disciples, Jesus is getting ready to go back up um, to the right hand of the Father. And what he does is he gets in a position where they're asking, Jesus, disciples are asking, is now the time when you restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, times and seasons are for not for you to know. Don't focus on that. But instead, you'll receive power on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to the globe. You will be my witnesses. He brings them back. Our tendency is to go when, when we don't either, when we get too comfortable, right? I can predict when he's coming. Let me take it into my hands. Or if we start to falter and actually forget that he's coming like a thief in the night, then all this stuff begins to conglomerate and we get focused on times and seasons. We get derailed from authentic service. And Jesus reminds us and Paul reminds us in the church to stay focused and live your life in light of the fact that Jesus is coming and he could come at any time. You're stewards, not owners. See the beauty in that. He reminds us. I think for some of us, we're, we're fully aware, and praise God, the sense of growing, we're, we're beginning to grow, we're beginning to, to live in light of that reality. We're starting to see our lives as being stewards, right, of the grace of God, right? We're, we're starting to understand that. But I think others of us, I think oftentimes we wrestle with even being fully aware. We might know it intellectually, or maybe we don't know it intellectually. But do our lives reflect that? Some of us are not stewarding relationships right. 
Some of us are interacting with a male or female in such a way that is not pleasing to the Lord. And you're basically, what you're doing, when we do that kind of stuff, he's delayed, it's not cosmic, he's not coming back, I'm going to do what I want to this against God. Be reminded, the day of the Lord is coming, and it could come at any time. Don't grow comfortable in not recognizing that he is a steward. We are steward, and he is, he is the owner of it all. And so our, uh, the bottom line for us in that is that we can get caught up in so many things in life when, when we're in the in-between times. And he calls us to the simple thing of don't let all this stuff, the times and seasons and trying to figure things out and take it into your own hands. Sometimes you just need to simply serve. Just serve. Focus on what he calls us to focus on. There are things that he not, has not revealed for a reason. It's good that he didn't say what time he's coming back. Because then we take it into our own hands and we try to do it. It's good because you know what? While we have security in Christ, we need to be aware. And that's where going down our second point is not only does a life characterized by authentic hope is a life of service, but a life characterized by authentic hope is a life of authentic security. So in verse 3 it says, uh, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains and come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And so you see there's the sense of going around, you have this peace and security that's being said and talked about. So people are offering a peace and security. So what is this peace and security? This peace and security came when Rome ruled this area. So this was a Roman province. Rome ruled over all. So this peace and security is a, is a Roman conception. Here's what it is. A commentator says about this peace and security, the promise of peace and security was what Rome offered to those peoples who submitted, willingly or unwillingly, to Roman rule and military power it was seen as Rome's gift to those that it conquered, virtually equivalent to an offer of deliverance or salvation from turmoil or danger. And so what, what happened is that whether you liked it or not, if you were under Rome, you were going to be under Rome, and they made sure you knew that. So anything that you did against Rome and that peace and security, disrupting that peace and security, oh yeah, you were put down. Rome was not messing around. And in fact, so what people began to adapt, they began to adapt to that, and here's what happens. Because only the top percentage had all the money in Rome, and everybody else was just basically serving and oppressed, and et cetera, et cetera, here's what people began to do. The way people operated in this peace and security of the Roman Empire, one would arrange their life, if possible, around gaining approval from the emperor in hopes that one would be among the elite. This was done for one's own gain rather than for the good of another. So you can imagine how Christians were treated when they turned from the gods, and the gods, they, they were seen as the blessing upon the Roman Empire. Okay, So don't mess with the gods. You can have different gods, but if you have one god that supersedes or challenges all these gods, then you're going you're to be squashed because you're threatening the Roman peace and security. In fact, when Rome fell... It was the, the Christians that they blamed because the Christians didn't follow the gods. So to mess with Roman peace and security, you didn't want to do that in that time. So when they turned from these idols to serve the living God, think what happened to their businesses. Think what happened to them. They were, that's part of this suffering, this tribulation. They had local persecution because of this dynamic. And so, so what happens is that... Um, 
Let me do this. In the midst of that, they, they found security, the temptation for those believers. Either if I was in that situation, I don't know about y'all, but I'd be tempted to go back to the Roman peace and security. I, unless, unless you're being so oppressed, it's like, well, what do I have to lose? Like, it's this interesting dynamic. So here they have interacting with this reality. They're wondering, like, I'm tempted to go back. Should I, should I not? Like, okay, peace and security. Okay, wait, Jesus, he, he's coming. Am I going to be with him? Like, these are the, the, the wrestles and the tensions that they faced on it. And so, but he says down in the next part, and the, but sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains, and they will not escape. So this security, this peace and security under the cosmic reign of Christ is promised. God promised that it will not remain. And what and behold, naturally, Roman Empire fell. All nations have fallen at different points, but the Roman Empire fell. Because, and, and that's just for us. We see, well, of course. But in that time, that was hard. That was very difficult to endure that. But Jesus was at work in them. And so the outcome is that this type of security is misplaced and it won't remain. So think about securities we take today. Here, and, and what do you take security? If we take security more in a nation, culture, politics, our rights, ethnicity, degree, job, title, car, home, marriage, or family, more than the coming of Christ to consummate his kingdom, then we have a false security. God created nations good. In fact, as he multiplied nations, we see the nations gathering, worshiping in one accord, but diversity is preserved. The issue is not diversity. The issue is that when we make something, the created thing, our soul identity, and we take security in that, that will falter. And he says, be careful about going to that people of God. Be careful about trying to take security in that because when it's jumped away and, and tugged away and it doesn't remain, that's what's going to happen. And so the labor pains that he talks about, you can't predict them. I don't know if, it, like with, with uh, husbands who have had pregnant wives, you know, it's nine months come around or sometimes eight months you're like, yo, like, okay, I don't know when the pains are going to come on. I don't know when contractions are going to start. You just don't know. All of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you're like, oh, yo, something's happening. And labor pains happen. But once they start, you don't want them to stop. You can't stop them. So he says, sudden destruction will come upon this peace and security, right, in a sudden way that you can't stop. And once it starts going, there's no negotiation. There is no negotiation. And so right now, God is, in, in, in 2 Peter 3, it talks about that God is patient, right? So we don't want to mix it up. He's patient right now, wanting all to come to repentance. That, that's who he is. But the next verse is that, but beware, because he's coming like a thief in the night. So let's not mix this up. Let's not get comfortable in these things. Let's not mix up where we find our security. And so there is no escape for those who take security in anything other than the coming of the Lord in his kingdom. So I love how many watch the Olympics. Is anybody watching the Olympics? Y'all tracking? I love, Fatima and I love watching the Olympics. So at the, night, at, at the evenings, you know, we'll watch them and track with them. Um, and, but you know deep down, is, okay, so there's over 1 billion people uh, watching the Olympics around the world. Deep down you know that for the most part, most people are wondering and thinking, man, I hope that my national anthem is sung on the gold podium. People are thinking, like, I hope it's, I hope it's mine. 
And why that's not bad. Guys, if we focus on that as our security, where we're like, yes, I got all the political power. I got all the might. I'm secure. I got it made here. If we cling to that, if we cling to a nation as a believer that doesn't cling to Jesus who redefines and teaches how to act in the context of our nation, y'all, we're going to miss it. Instead, our hope should be fixed on the kingdom anthem in Revelation that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And we see this image of the four creatures saying this and then the elders casting their crowns, bowing down and worshiping and saying, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory, honor, and power for by you all things were created and according to your pleasure they came into existence. And so then you see the scroll taken from the son who executes the day of the Lord. And as he unrolls it, they're saying before he unrolls, Worthy are you to take the scroll. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed tongues, tribes, people, nations. For your people to be a kingdom and priests on this earth, the new heavens and new earth. See, guys, that's where kingdom mentality understands the day of the Lord is coming. We're called to be stewards. Don't take it in false security because our, and letting that anthem of the kingdom generate and, and, and encourage us in times of difficulty, that that's the kingdom that's coming. Steward well because it's a joy to do that. And sometimes we get into the point where we pacify, right? That's not... We're not called to pacify. Like, husbands, it's really easy at times, and even in wives at times. If you're married, it's easy to begin to pacify your wife or someone in relationship or within the community. And what happens is that you tell them what they want to hear, right? And you, you're not concerned about walking through the difficult times of life, which actually is a process of sanctification, and so, guys, as we think about that, like we, can't, we, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to see the, the, the coming of the Lord and its significance on stewarding and being aware. And we need to speak the truth in such a way where we live in light of that reality and we're not just pacifying. We're not pacifying the culture and what we say about Jesus, but we do it in a loving way that's seasoned with salt. Right? Not obnoxious, but in our souls. We know, I pray that my neighbor will come to know Jesus. I pray that the campuses would see revival. I pray that our community would see businesses that steward in such a way where Jesus is coming, so we're going to give to the kingdom of God. I pray that jobs would happen, but not just so you can take ownership, but for the sake of you could steward it in such a way where it maximizes the glory of Jesus. And so not only is it a life characterized by Focused service and authentic security. But our last one is a life characterized by authentic hope is a life of sobriety. A life of sobriety. In five, the second part of five, it says, we are not of the night or of the darkness. In other words, if you're in Christ, you don't display the characteristics consistently of that. Your hope is differently. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So he says, in other words, since we're in Christ, and the beautiful thing about being in Christ and being the children of the light, as he says earlier, is that I didn't do anything to be a part of this kingdom. 
This kingdom is something that God has done and chosen me. The only reason that I'm in it is not because I went to church my whole life. It's not because I own my own business. It's not because I own a home. It's not because I drive a car. It's not because I know a whole lot of people on Facebook. It's not because I'm known by all my Twitters that I have a million and people love my Twitter. That's not what it's about. It's about the fact that God set saw fit to fix his affection upon us in Christ Jesus while we were yet sinners. If you understand that, we grow in the sense that I don't own it. When I did own it, I messed it up. So anytime I go back to seeking to own or getting comfortable and fixing it and not living like he's coming back, I mess it up. Give it to Jesus. He's the one that by, gra- by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, is how we are in Christ and a part of this kingdom anthem that we anticipate. And we want to see more and more people understand that, that reality. And so he says, since that's who we are, let us not sleep like the others. See, many, they were caught off guard. Right? There's that, that sense of sudden destruction will happen. Let us not sleep. That's not who you are in Christ. Focus on the important thing. Jesus is coming again. He's coming like a thief in the night. But let us keep awake and be sober. And that awake, here's where he says in relation to the Lord's coming. Um, I have a, a psychology definition. I don't know how I got this. Um, I Googled and I said, wow, this is really good for the context. But here's what it says. Being vigilant is the ability to maintain attention and alertness over prolonged periods of time. Be watchful. Sober, be disciplined. Matthew Henry says how these interact, being watchful and sober in this way. He says, we shall not keep sober unless we be upon our guard. Unless your guard's up, you're not going to remain sober. And then he also says, vice versa, he says, unless we keep sober, we will not long watch. So keep in mind, Jesus is coming again. Don't get comfortable with the fact that you know he's coming. Live in light of the reality, he could come at any time, and that prompts us to remind her, I'm a steward. I'm a steward. Praise God. It's incredible being a steward of his. In other words, he tells the church um, to be careful about being spiritually lazy. Be careful about being spiritually lazy, church. And so he explains this well in, uh, go to Luke 21, 34 to 36. I want to read that real quick. It's the last passage and then we'll, we'll close here. He says, this is Luke's rendition of in light of the fact that the, 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 the sun is coming and he can come at any time. But, uh, but watch yourselves, verse 34, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth, right? All, not just a segment, on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He gives the church, it is good news. If you're in Christ, you will be able to stand before the Son of Man and rejoice. But then he says, be careful about spiritual laziness, which our hearts get weighed down with three specific things. Dissipation, wasteful expenditure, we just go spin it with no purpose. Right? No, just, we go spin it because it's like, well, I mean, if I own it, I can spin it how I want. Right? But if I'm stewarding, oh, that's sobering. I'm sobered by that. Second one is drunkenness, just another wasteful living. Cares of this life, and these cares of the life 
There's so many. You can think on how, how many times I've said the cares of the life, and I, I, I stopped thinking about heavenly word, as Colossians 3 talks about, and I begin to get weighed in on these, and my wife experiences, because I become anxious, and I get into these cares of the life, and it weighs my heart down, then I go to try to figure it out and fix it myself, rather than say, no, come back to the rack that serve Jesus, trust him, look to him, and let him begin to work his plan out. It's kind of like this, so alarm clock. I'm, I'm a kind of, I love to snooze in the morning. I used to wake up and you know, have my mom wake me up 30 minutes early so I can say, hey, let me sleep another 15 minutes. Let me sleep another 15 minutes. But see, here's the alarm clock. The alarm clock is supposed to be these times and seasons. So they, they awake us to the reality this is going to happen, right? But oftentimes what we do is we snooze. Dissipation, snooze. Oh, I'm comfortable. I'm going to own it, snooze. He's not coming. He's delayed, snooze. Before you know it, five minutes turns into 15 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour and a half, and you wake up saying, <laughs> my alarm didn't go off. <laughs> and that's how we are with God. Like, God, you didn't tell me. Like, he's telling those who don't know Jesus, he's telling you right now and every single Sunday, don't hit the snooze alarm. Like, these things are going to happen. Don't get trapped in them. Instead, see him, trust him, look to him, love him, and see the joy of stewarding what he's called you to. Don't focus on things that derail us from service at Epiphany in our neighborhoods and what God is calling us to do. And so some of us, are we've been ignoring this for too long. We've been ignoring and we take ownership of it and we're anxious and we try to make it happen. And the good news is that Jesus assures those that are in Christ, you won't miss the second coming. But he also says, don't get too comfortable in it. Because if you get too comfortable, then you may start owning it and you might think, oh, he's delayed, I'll do my own thing. So focus on a life characterized by hope is a life characterized by authentic uh, service. A life characterized by authentic hope is a life that is uh, security, authentic security. And a life characterized by hope is authentic sobriety. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you um, that you love us, uh, that while we were yet sinners and wild and out, Lord, Christ died for us. Father, may we never lose track of your love May you be exalted in all that happens. We thank you. Teach us, Lord God, to not get so comfortable in this life that we forget that you're coming in any moment and we're stewards. But teach us also, Lord, to rest in the reality that it's good to know you, knowing that uh, we can rest in Jesus with a hopeful anticipation of hearing the kingdom anthem and letting that inform how we see nations and how we serve nations and people in our community and our neighborhood and students in a way that brings glory to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.